Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Test Case Scenario. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Baum. With me, as always, Marcus Merrill, Evelyn Coleman, and Nikolai Avalokin. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Fantastic. Good, good. All right. It's another episode of Test Case Scenario. That means we're going to talk about something. Uh, Who wants to take it? I will take it, Jason. So today we are talking about a Q&A that Marcus and I did uh, a few days ago on Friday. We had a fantastic attendance. People asked a lot of fantastic questions. We answered them live. And then today, this wonderful gentleman by the name of Igor Emilianov asked us a bunch more questions as a follow-up. And so... We want to address them in today's episode and um, be helpful. So I'll maybe start off with the first one, which is very interestingly phrased. And we hope there is no uh, animosity there. But um, he asks how to cool down management about people about. Let me restart that. Yeah, I think you need to, when you say this, I feel like you need to channel where, you know, that that feeling might come from. Like, really own that. Own the question? Own the question, yes. <laughs> All right, let's go again. Okay. Igor asks, Oopsies. how to cool down management about people, about automation, ROI, and effectiveness? Metrics to cut down manual people or give up on automation altogether? Wow. That is a, a yeah, big question. There's, there's some trauma behind that question. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Marcus. Uh, so I, I think I, I, I get it. Like I've been asked before to demonstrate ROI. And after a while, I figured out that somehow I could just, you know, I, I can feed them some numbers, but essentially I'm trying to, to, to convey a narrative that, that it's 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 as difficult to nail down this this kind of ROI assessment as it is to do any kind of development effort. Where I think the software engineer for engineering profession for years has successfully been able to avoid doing things like showing real ROI and show and 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 even even stating like actual delivery dates and stuff like that. We've managed to developers have managed to get out of that kind of stuff for a while. I think I think with with automation. I think that the thing is you show value, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of um, like, what are we actually providing value to the customer? I mean, are we, are we finding bugs that almost made it to production? Um, are we, are we, do we have demonstrable, you know, cases where we're able to, sh- to cut down the mean time to recovery because of finding things earlier in the process and being able to read our data better and do better automated testing and stuff like that. And I think that, the constant drum I've been beating for a long time. Anyone who's been listening to this is like, we have a responsibility here too, which is to make sure that the testing we're doing is actually relevant to the business. And I feel like if we were doing that all along, we might not have as big a problem justifying and showing ROI because we could always show that, look, uh, we are always making sure that your, your most important workflows are hundred percent guaranteed to go out. We haven't had a problem with those in X days, X months, X years, whatever. And um, 
you know, make it collaborative. Basically, this this question betrays the fact that there is not very much trust between management and testers. And I would want to go to the root question of why are we not providing value? That kind of thing. That's a great question, Nikolai. <laughs> why, why do you think? Evelyn, are you? Why aren't we providing value? Are you saying, <laughs> Evelyn, I think Sorry. Evelyn was saying something. <laughs> I'd go a step mm -hmm. further, Marcus. Like, I agree that there's not, there's a silo between the folks that are doing the managing and the folks that are doing the automation or the testing in this case. But in order to have a return on investment, you have to understand the metrics that were going on. You have to have some investment in the current metrics, right? So if you're going from manual testing to automation, what are you tracking at that point? And then when you introduce this new thing or some other tool, some other process, whether you're going, you know, what, whatever you're changing to, you have to have that baseline comparison. And I think that the gap between management and the people doing the testing starts there. Like there, ha there isn't a baseline, a meaningful baseline. Um, and then you try to compare this new thing and you don't really have anything to go off of. So a lot of times, and this isn't just in testing, like we bring in new software and new personnel, new programs, anything. And it's up to that new thing to prove there's a lot of pressure, right? On those automators who've been hired or whoever to prove their value and their worth. Um, but no one can point to what was going on before in a meaningful way either. I don't know if I just butchered that. Yeah, no, I think you said that really, really well. And you were, you were, you actually said something I was thinking in my head and I'm, you said it way better than I could have is it, like this. It's not just this industry, but it's, it's everywhere, right? When you have something that you need to prove, gosh, I wish there was a better way to do it because this question comes up all the time. What is the return on investment? What's your value? Ah, that's a hard question to answer because yeah. how do you want to answer it? right? You could dice that up in a million different ways. And it always comes back to, I feel like, well, what is the general goal? What's the purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? And then start from there and kind of work backwards. Because like, well, if I want to do X, Y, if I want to get to Z, first, I got to go A and B and, you know, and put all those pieces together. And then, well, how did I do A? How did I do B? And I feel like once you start putting that together, it starts to make more sense. I hope that helped. It yeah, I, I tell you I, one one way. Oh, go ahead. I'm gonna. Yeah, you go. Yeah, I was gonna say I totally agree with you all. It made sense to me. And another thing that I would add here, which I often listen to, like motivational YouTube videos, and there's one where Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about a lesson he learned from James Cameron, which was early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and advertise. And the last part, yeah. the advertising part is where I believe us as automation engineers, maybe even developers, I mean, the whole software industry, what I've seen is we don't do that part well. We achieve stuff. We, we were very good at achieving stuff but we're not very good at advertising it. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're providing ROI, but it, it's a great place to start and say, hey, look, I did this. It helped us like this. And maybe it's not measurable, but at least it shows 
your higher level ops, your organization, what you're doing and the kind of impact that you're having. And maybe from there, you can pave the path as Jason described. What was it? Early to bed, mm-hmm. early to rise. Work like hell. Work and like advertise. hell. And advertise. I like that. Well said, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who I do have a way that if I've done this before and I don't, I don't love it, but I'm going to undermine a little bit of what we've already said and give you at least a starting point to start the conversation. So you don't show up with nothing. You actually have numbers in your corner that you can then build the conversation. And what I'm going to suggest may sound a little bit ridiculous, but it's, it's been effective for me in the past to at least have a starting conversation, which is take the number of test cases that you have automated 500 and, uh, then speculate that you're going to execute those tests on Chrome, Firefox, Safari, and Edge. You're going to go back two versions. So you're going to run each of those tests on all four browsers on three different versions, current, latest, latest, latest minus two, sorry, latest minus one, latest minus two, and then uh, some number of, you know, browsers, different browsers. Do the multiplication to figure out how many tests, how many times you've executed, executed those tests. And then say, if you're in a case where you're, executing those uh, tests on every commit, you're able to see how many times you've executed those test cases per day for the last X number of uh, months. Then you take each one of those 500 test cases and say, this would probably take four minutes to run if you were doing it manually and multiply that out. And you'll quickly find that you've done 160 years worth of testing in two days by automating all this work. And someone will look at you and say, that's ridiculous. There's no way that you would actually do that. You're like, no, it's not a good metric. That's why we're talking about it, because you're asking me for something that's fundamentally not a good metric. Now let's have a real conversation. Ooh. So that's one one approach. That's spicy. I'm not glad you finished it that way, Marcus. I was like, where is he going with this? Because I don't agree at all. <laughs> right. No, I'm saying like, if you want, like that's because I feel like that's the number they think they want. Yeah. How much manual effort right. are we displacing? Right. That's the number they think they want. So I'm like, no, here's the number. Let's talk about why it's bullshit. I, I think there's some merit to that number, but the tests have to be valuable. And yeah. this number, chasing this metric, forces you into a bad mindset where if the more mm-hmm. tests I run, the more value it generates, I will just run more tests. And so... That yeah. is the where it it's it's a poor metric. That's how you get stuck on vanity metrics and all those things. And yeah. You can tell a bad get a trophy. That, Look at yeah. all this work you did, and and but, but no but no results. But where, yeah. where are the results? Because you're not getting the results you're getting, and that's Worship why it's bugs. like what's the goal yeah. and measure the things that are actually important to achieving that. And that's one hundred and one. I yeah. want to get into the second part of this question, which I maybe I'm misinterpreting, but this metrics cut to cut down manual people or give up on automation and maybe i'm thinking about this the wrong way but what i'm feeling from this question is this idea of if we have metrics around the return of investment on automation and like we give proper metrics are those do we have to like balance out giving those metrics in order for it not to cut down manual roles or, and then there's this give up on automation part, or do we just give up on automation altogether? I feel like it's a question about finding a balance between 
management asking you for metrics when there's apples and oranges going on between manual and automation? Like, how do you provide metrics around testing to people who don't, who aren't maybe aware that there's two very different types of testing going on and they just want you to give like one metric? I don't know, kind of rambled, but mm. there's something in here about finding the balance that I can't pin down. Marcus, Nicolai, Jason? Well, we had the episode where we thought. talked about the, like, roughly the balance of ratio, but I don't know if that's the question. Mm -hmm. This How is more you? like proving it, I, right? This is communicating that. I, I I agree with you, Evelyn. It's hard to find. I know, I know that just, like, off the top of my head, me wanting to at least answer the question is, is um, Nikolai just did a, a talk with a fellow named Diogo from TestRail. And TestRail is a fantastic product for combining uh, metrics about manual and automated testing in a way that, that we at Sauce can't do on our own. I think, so I think that's, that's at least a source of information, even though it doesn't fully lead to answering this question all the way. Well, it kind of does, right? Like if there is an entire, if there's a company dedicated or in part dedicated to pulling, pooling these types of metrics from manual and automated testing in a meaningful way, even just having that conversation, I think with management is meaningful to say like, you know, I try and explain that these are two very different things. In fact, they're so different or they're, they're related in, in such a way that there's software out there, companies out there who are trying to show you how these things work together and just starting the conversation. Sometimes when there's a product out there that answers the question that you're trying to explain, you can just name drop the product and say like, this does that. So obviously there's a need for it. And obviously there's a need for a larger conversation here. Yeah. yeah. It's used in an optimal way. Yeah. Before we go on yeah. to question number two, um, I don't know if anybody else was thinking this, but I was wondering um, if Nikolai could go back over and say that quote again, but in an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, accent. I, I wish I could. I'm horrible at accents, but I'm willing to try. <laughs> oh, good. I, I, I have never, I am, I have never mastered the art of doing accents, but I will try. Um, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell, and advertise, advertise to the chopper. I, now, <laughs> now it all comes. Now it sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger to me. Okay, cool. Yeah, before I, I was going to say, I can do an impression how, of James how, how Cameron that? saying it. That was, that was much. That was great. That was fantastic. Okay, cool. All right, should I? Should we go to the second question? We want to jump around to a yeah. more enticing question. Maybe Evelyn. How about you pick a question? Oh. To pick a pick a question. I personally, the one that I have the most familiarity with is question number four about balancing tests. I know this is a topic that goes on so much in testing conferences and things, but it's that second part that gets me, just like the first question, right? Like, are we using an ice cream cone to develop tests? Are we using a pyramid? I, I gave a sauce con presentation one time and I, I found all of the different diagrams that were used to uh, figure out how you should balance like your unit tests, your API tests and things. And there's like a rocket ship diagram. So sorry, I, I skipped, but the question is how do we, how to balance between API? You got to say it in a Schwarzenegger accent. 
that would be no, yeah. highly inappropriate. Can you do um, it in an Italian accent? I can't actually do an Italian accent. I sound horrible, horrible when I try to do one, but sometimes I make fun of my mother in a, a Mario and Luigi voice and it's pretty funny. Um, how to balance between API, Selenium, UI, and unit test scopes to keep direction from ice cream to pyramid. And, and what this is getting at is there's there's slides out there, right? People give these presentations that have these charts on them about how many unit tests you should have versus how many functional tests you should have. Um, and there's an ice cream cone diagram and there's a the testing pyramid, very famous. Um, I saw a rocket ship once. I saw an upside down pyramid, which I think uh, Titus is really into, right? The upside down pyramid. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's kind of a, yeah. So, and I'm sure since I gave that presentation, there's probably many others and lots of ones that I didn't find. And to me, the interesting part of this question is, how do you, you just pick one? How do you, <laughs> there's so much conflicting information out there. What's the best strategy? I don't know. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it's tough. It, it's know. it's tough. It's not an easy question because unfortunately it depends. It depends on so much. It depends on the system that you're testing, it depends on the culture of the organization where you work, the boundaries that exist between the teams. Um, sometimes you might only be able to interact with the application as a black box because the QA don't talk to developers. And so how do you figure out what their unit testing coverage is or are they testing APIs? I worked for one organization where we did have separate QA department separate developer department. I knew how to code. We were, uh, I was coding the same programming language as the developers. And so my director said, Nikolai, can you help us to figure out if the developers are doing any unit testing? And I was like, yeah, of course. But it was funny to me that he came to me as like a spy to go into their code and run code coverage to figure out what kind of unit testing is happening there. You know, and um, so it, Unfortunately, it depends. I think how you want to think about this is start at a risk assessment of your application, figure out where risks are that you don't want to make into production, um, figure out where the values are of the application, start thinking about how you're going to test those scenarios. Um, don't use UI too much. See if you can test at other layers. Do you have the ability to invoke APIs? Can you talk to the developers and find out if there's some unit tests that are covering things? And um, just keep trying it. Keep everything stable. Keep everything extremely fast, reliable, and continue in that direction. It'll be a challenge. It'll take conversations. It'll take a lot of work, but it's the right path, I believe. And I would add to that, don't follow any strategy of somebody who's saying, who doesn't mention what Nikolai just said, which is, it depends. There's a lot of strategies out there, right? So if you're going on a, a blog and there's a rocket ship diagram or an ice cream cone diagram or an upside down pyramid, and there's not a paragraph or a moment dedicated to saying what Nikolai said, which is look at your testing practice um, and figure it out from there, that the person who developed that strategy won't admit any flaws in their strategy or says this is the only way that's probably one to cross off your list 
I would just say don't over index on the importance of fitting your work into the pyramid. I would say analyze a little bit about like if if you look at your testing numbers and you build them into a model and it looks like the ice cream cone, you might want to ask yourself some questions about whether that's the right thing. But I wouldn't I wouldn't just pick the pyramid and say, well, according to the pyramid, I've got too many of this one kind of tests. I need to delete some arbitrarily. Like I don't don't cram your your testing strategy into a model that was designed to be a guideline. Um, but the other thing I'd say is that context is everything. Um, and and uh, I, I've been playing this interesting game, which actually could probably be the subject of an entire podcast, which is basically um, what what industry am I in and what should I aspire to being in that industry? Like um, the example I've been playing with lately is um, uh, I work for a company that has a particular health insurance company. And I since I work for that company, I only have that health insurance available to me. So whatever their mobile app is, that's my app. Whatever their website experience is, that's my website. So as a tester, you have to super, super over-index and high, highly prioritize what my user experience is over, say, something like claim processing, which is more important in a case like that, where the user is captive. User experience, claim processing. Yeah. I mean, you should care about user experience, but claim processing but is Why would you care? He's locked in or she's locked in. Yeah, exactly. Matter. So... Then if you're working for an e-commerce company where my revenue depends on you actually having a smooth experience, the most important thing is still protecting that revenue and making sure you get attribution for the, the cookie that gets dropped and you open up the thing and you do check out, you get commission, whatever. But it's got to be a smooth experience. You have to care about user experience. So UI testing is going to be super important. Um, so that, that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about lately is, is it's all about context and that's going to determine your strategy. And what I find in the industry is that I'm going to go from one company to the next, bringing these tools and ideas with me without regard to where I'm coming from and where I'm going. And that's where I think people make mistakes. I, I want to create a game that's like a testing Rorschach, test strategy Rorschach like like where if i show you a design can you tell me the strategy behind that diagram like just a random diagram i wonder if you can mm -hmm. i oh, bet I like you that. all could do it <laughs> yeah i, um, I want to design basically a matrix that that represents this stuff i've yeah. got it drafted but it's not been looked at very much i i have a cool life example that totally builds on top of what you said, Marcus, um, at a previous employer, I worked for a company that distributes the um, national standardized assessments. And so those were done on a tablet. And so actually, the way that the tests look, and as they change from time to time due to whatever reasons, they have to look exactly the same because there is statistical differences that can impact student scores if they're changed too drastically and so there mm -hmm. visual testing was basically like the thing because you had to capture a snapshot of every single question and make sure that as time went on it didn't change to drastically impact student scores versus in other situations visual i've, I've never used visual testing so extensively there we were doing like Three to nine thousand validations every two weeks. Um, I've mm -hmm. never seen that anywhere else. 
I like the jelly bean jar. Like, have you ever done one of those like online tests where you're not like online tests, but somebody sends you like a jelly bean jar and there's different categories in it. And then you like use your little edit button on your phone to fill in the different like jelly beans, like a little personality Mm -hmm. quiz. But it'd be good to do one for testing Mm -hmm. where like, here's the testing jelly bean jar. And then you take your little phone and you say like, okay, I'm going to fill in nine visual jelly beans fill all those in mm-hmm. and then I'm going to fill in two unit testing ones and three mm-hmm. right, of right. them are going to be functional tests and that'd be a fun exercise the webinar or something I, I love I questions we, that have answers it. like it depends it's really good for uh no, it, I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> unfortunately we Sorry. don't have time to get no just kidding <laughs> unfortunately we don't have time to get into some of uh Igor's other questions. Uh, maybe on another episode we can do that. What do you think? These were fun. These are good questions. So we'll we'll go through and uh, and we'll do the rest. But I think we have to say a very special thank you to our producer of our episode today, Igor. <laughs> thank you, Igor. Little did he know that an episode would be created from this little comment, and that's a lesson to all audience members that. You never know when your comment will create an entirely new episode. Please comment, share, like, subscribe. Uh, I don't know what else is there. (laughs) Just uh, email us. Email us at community-hub at saucelabs.com. And let us know what you think. Ask questions. Maybe we'll just read it on an episode. And you can become internet famous someday too. Things to aspire to. Thank you, Evelyn, Nikolai, Marcus. I think this was a great episode. Hope you all had as much fun as we did. We will see you on the next episode of Test Case Scenario. 